Hello everyone, you're listening to Raga Talks and I'm your host Raga and we've got a special guest today that is Ashraf and let's hear Ashraf speak more about artificial intelligence. Ashraf today. Um, hello Ashraf. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm good about you. I'm fine, thank you. So would you like to give a small um, introduction about yourself to our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm a computer science student in my last year of bachelor's degree. I study in Paris. I'm like foreigner student. I'm like foreign student. I come from Tunisia and I study I study artificial intelligence uh, in Sorbonne University, uh, Paris, France. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm mostly like I mostly most of the time I'm like competitive programmer, but I also participate in hackathons and I build like robot robots and artificial intelligence for everyday use that sounds great um so should we get into the questions now uh so first questions first question can you tell us a bit more about the applications of artificial intelligence yeah so ai is mostly the simulation of human intelligence process by computer systems that's like the most basic definition uh, AI is mostly used in like healthcare companies right now are applying machine learning algorithms to make faster and better diagnosis than humans. Uh, it's also used in business, like the chatbots that you see in like e-commerce websites all the time. Uh, education, like right now we're studying online, most of the education websites are, are like running on AI systems. For auton- for autonomous like uses, um, most of the autonomous uses uh, in like everyday life right now are like in vehicles like the Tesla models, or for robotics like the IBM robotics, or for like cyborgs like uh, what Elon Musk is doing right now with uh, with the with his new like chip. If you I, I, if you've seen the the live video, the live stream, like two months ago, when Elon Musk showed his showed his new invention, like the, the chip that you put in your brain to, to to become like smarter. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 one of the uses of like one of the applications of AI in today's world, and I think it's yeah. the the most impressive one for me. It's also used in space exploration. Uh, this year, NASA has used an AI like in a rover. In the nineties, mm-hmm. the rovers were like where human humans used like to to manipulate the rovers. But but now it's mostly artificial intelligence. It's autonomous, and the data that is sent to NASA it's all processed through AI. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, you were saying something? Uh, no, 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 sorry. It's the echo. <laughs> okay. so, so, so going on to the next question. So how does cybersecurity catch new types of malware? So for catching malware, I think that's mostly, it's, that's mostly like malware analysis. It's an important mm-hmm. and rapidly growing like role within the cybersecurity hierarchy. 
and it's like mostly part security engineering, part digital forensics, and part programming. It's a crucial function. It's pro- it provides like in-depth intelligence after like cybersecurity event, like the uh, like the malware that was distributed like the last years. Like many companies were infected. It was a ransomware, and like some companies lost billions of dollars. And Malware analysis, it's it's very important and it's basically like analyzing the malicious software using an attack so that new defenses can be deployed or refined as needed. It's mostly the ability to reverse engineer like malicious code in Paramount in a defensive strategy. And this is where the, man- the, the malware analyst brings value to the cybersecurity team. I mean, the cross between a highly skilled programmer and a cyber detective makes this an attractive option for many highly skilled and curious tech types. And like the malware, the malware analyst is has like some honed programming skills, and he uses like his ability to dissect uh, to dissect the exploit and identify the target vulnerabilities. You know, when he works like with cybersecurity experts, like they make invaluable contribution, like toward, toward the protecting, uh, for the sorry, the protection against like cyber threats, and they're yes. uh, and mitigating them. And I think the ability to analyze like and reverse engineer uh, suspicious codes enables the malware analyst or like whoever like is analyzing and decrypting the malwares to protect digital assets uh, assets by predicting the intended results of the code and to establish a signature to help identify its presence and by prediction that's where that's where we can use ai since i talked about ai too uh because ai is mostly like predicting predicting and predicting the outcomes from from certain inputs I mean, the the primary function of malware analysis is to identify, examine, and understand like various forms of malware and their delivery methods. Uh, malicious softwares includes all the diverse form of adware. You know the ads that come in in shady websites, bots yeah. like the bots you find in in Omegle, for example, bugs mm-hmm. bugs in websites video games etc spyware like keyloggers when like spyware is, mo- is i think it's mostly keyloggers since when you log like when you're when you type in your computer someone might might be might be spoofing everything you're writing and might be like seeing everything you're doing ransomwares like i said and trojan horses viruses and like the usual worms uh mm-hmm. i mean i think I think on a routine basis, the the people that do the analysis, like they will be called to examine su- like suspect code and determine if it is in fact an element of malware attack because not always it's not always malwares. So they are mostly like they are especially working with like advanced persistent threats. We call them APT. It's nefarious codes. They may be placed little by little before being detonated. It's like a bomb, but it's a digital bomb. So they are mostly it's you can you can really like take examples from like real real life like police force for for these kinds of cybersecurity threats. Most most of the viruses have, have like names that the military use. 
why this makes like the defense task of detecting and identifying malicious code more difficult, it also affords the malware analyst opportunity to examine and protect against the attack before harm is done. So that yeah. sounds fab. Yeah. yeah. So moving on to the next question: Does cyber the usage of artificial intelligence? Developing and completing tasks in a way we couldn't Im- imagine, if were possible, if they become even more complex and achieve sentence, then what steps do artificial intelligence researchers take to ensure we don't have a rogue artificial intelligence? Okay, so the first question is the role of AI in cybersecurity, is that right? Yes, um, it's about like if cybersecurity involves the role, I mean, the it does, of it does a lot actually. <laughs> <laughs> So, we all know that emerging technologies put cybersecurity at risk, uh, at risk whenever there is something new, new advancement, in, even in defensive strategies of security professionals. I mean, of, secu- of security, sorry, professionals, they always fail at some point. I mean, besides yeah. as offensive defensive strategies and innovations are running in a never-ending cycle, as we all know, the complexity, the complexity and volume of cyber attacks have increased, combining the strength of artificial intelligence with cybersecurity. Security professionals like nowadays have additional resources to defend vulnerable networks and data from cyber attackers. Machine learning, for example, in cybersecurity is much more than a mere application of the algorithms. It can be used to analyze cyber threats better and respond to security incidents. There are a few other significant benefits of machine learning, which includes which includes detective uh, detects it, like AI detects malicious activities and stops cyber attacks. Uh, it analyzes mobile endpoints for cyber threats. Google is already using machine learning for for the same purpose. It improves human analysis, like like the, the role that that I told you about earlier, the, the malware analyst. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it improves his performance from like from malicious from malicious attack detection to endpoint protection. It uses it's used in automating mundane security tasks and like there thing there is a thing that we call zero day vulnerability when there is like a new tech that comes out. There is always a vulnerability that comes with it. It's like bugs in video games, but this is like way more dangerous. And with AI, it can catch these bugs before before the tech is even deployed. I mean, the Gmail uses right now. Right now, Gmail uses machine learning to block like around the hundred million spams in a day. I, I read that in an article. IBM, yes. IBM's Watson like cognitive training. It's it's their it's their child company for for AI. It uses machine learning to detect cyber threats and other cybersecurity solutions. Google right now is using deep learning AI on its cloud video intelligence platform. It helps in, in, in analyzing data in the video stored on their platform based on the content and the context. And the AI algorithm, they send algorithms, they send security alerts whenever something suspicious is found. So, uh, so in my opinion, I think that AI-powered system will, systems will soon be an integral part of cybersecurity solutions. It already is an important part, but I think in the future it's going to be like an obligation, I think. <laughs> it will also be used by cyber criminals, sadly, to harm organizations, since, you know, the attacker mm-hmm. the attacker will always have the same weapons as the, as, the def- as the defender at some point. 
this will leave AI yeah. using automated programs susceptible to advanced threats like any other cybersecurity solution. And AI, honestly, is not 100% foolproof. It is a double-edged sword, and it can limit cyber attacks the same way it can augment them, I think. And the automation wave will take AI over everyday tasks from from the t- like in the two camps, from the attacker and the defender. And I think whoever whoever makes the better algorithms and whoever can make the few the fewer human error, errors and negligence will will win and i hope it's it's our side i guess <laughs> yes it's like a double edged sword um, exactly yeah so um the, do you also dabble with space uh, sorry, so what do sec- you do? i think i think there was a second question if I'm the... oh yes yeah. so it's about um what steps um artificial intelligence researchers take to ensure that they don't have a, a rogue artificial intelligence oh yeah yeah so you know that's i think that depends on who mm-hmm. on the person you ask it's very philosophical for now because we're not at that level in ai but yes. what i can tell you is that computer systems they depend on what could potentially become so complicated that even the scientists who create them won't understand exactly how they work because ai is really purely this the, like it's it's not like a monodiscipline it's, it's it's like many scientists from many disciplines that come together like for example i'm i'm a computer scientist i i study ai i study maths but i work at the same time with people that study physics they don't know anything about like like computer like mm-hmm. advanced computer science i also work with biologists i in competitions like i team up with like mathematics with like uh, mathematicians or or mm-hmm. like sales people or whatever so like some some researchers they they don't even know what's inside so that's why there are yeah. many i mean not researchers but i guess like comp- like uh, corpo people like cor- corporations so mm-hmm. i think that's why there are many misconceptions right now but if you go mm-hmm. if you go in the like in the ai in the rogue ai rabbit hole like in the movies i think we can come up like with a hypothesis i mean what they mean is if we go with their logic what they mean is they could like developers could make an ai what you might describe as an out of character like decisions during critical moments but that this mm-hmm. could mean that for example a car decides to swerve into pedestrians or crash into speed barrier instead of taking the decision to drive sensibly even though the researcher making it didn't put that inside its its mind let's say uh, i mean as as some researchers like to say if you had a very a very small neural network a neural network is ba- is basically a uh, a deep learning algorithm let's say if you had a very small neural network like you might be able to understand it but once it becomes very large it has thousands of units per layer mm-hmm. and maybe hundreds of layers and becomes quite uh, quite not understandable and there is an example the famous example of the two facebook bots uh, that created their own language i think it was in 2017 i guess 
because it was more effective to communicate mm-hmm. in their own secret secret language than what its creators were trying to train it in, to, to what uh, trying to train it in i mean that's a real life example it happened but it was unpredictable it i mean now it's predictable because it happened like i said ai what what we know is really based on what happened before that's why the data sets that we create ai with are based on yes. like previous data it's like trying to predict the future with like using what happened in history if you get what I mean. mm-hmm. but before yes. before this happened it was like a big event how can like two bots created their own language they communicate their own language no one is understanding them facebook had like had to had to shut them down because they they became way too unpredictable and that was because their mm. their deep learning algorithm was like too advanced and they had they had the ability to to, to find i mean it, it's like it's like the, the problem of finding the the shortest path so for them the shortest path was for communication was to create their own language because for them it's easy, easier than the human language so that's technically uh, that's, yes. that's, yeah. that's technically what happened there but uh, mm-hmm. if i don't think it's it should be counted as going rogue but for most people that's what, yes. that's what it means but for me i don't think so because inside ai it just mess it's just like mathematical equations that that we turn into code and honestly i don't think that anything of that nature can can do like something that wasn't built to do for me i mean mm-hmm. even if that happens there are already like many many like ways to counter it one like one of the most like the most like, the most known ones and I think I think uh, this is like the oldest one the Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics it's it's a book this is a writer in in the 70s or 60s I don't I don't remember anymore yeah, Isaac okay. Asimov he has three laws of robotics the first law a robot may not injure a, a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm the mm-hmm. second law a robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law and the third law a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law these are like the three the three laws of robotics of ai and mm-hmm. right now the the people that are building robots that are building intelligent robots that we that we call like uh, electronic ais are are basically following them even though to to not harm to not harm people but as i said a robot will only harm you if its creator decided to so i really i really don't think that that it's it's gonna like go go nuts on someone even though even though it wasn't built to do so uh i i think i i read i read an article last week by Gergus uh, mm-hmm. he's uh, he's an entrepreneur and best selling author scientist he has his own ai mm-hmm. company uh in the mm-hmm. article he he was against like the the new methods of deep learning he said 
this is what we need to do. It's not popular right now, but this is why the stuff that is popular right now isn't working. I mean, the, the stuff that is popular right now, he's talking about deep learning. He's, he says that deep learning isn't working the way we, it should be. Yes. It means that deep learning isn't even as intelligent as we want it to be. And he has he has his own like his own new algor- algorithms that, that that he's implementing and they are doing great. And honestly, after after reading this article, uh, it made me realize that people are really like making many hypotheses about deep learning and how it's gonna go wrong or how it's gonna like rule the world or whatever. But it's not the most sophisticated one. I mean, I I built, mm-hmm. I built stuff with deep learning before. I mean, I'm saying deep learning mm-hmm. the AI right now because deep learning is like subset of AI. In AI, there are like yes. subsets: machine learning, deep learning, etc., reinforcement learning. But deep learning is like the most popular one, and it's the most sophisticated one, I guess, for now. And mm-hmm. I've built like stuff with deep learning. The last thing I built I built was two weeks ago in a hackathon. Uh, okay. Uh, and we won, by the way. <laughs> uh, oh, really? That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. It was in Switzerland, and uh-huh. uh, we built a an AI that, uh, like, it's 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 a camera that can find mm-hmm. that can find the 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 doors and the door handles, etc., of the of the metro, and it can mm-hmm. predict the next ones. And it can tell you the distance between you and the door handle and how to enter. And it was built specially for for people with like with like vision problems, with impaired vision. Because in Switzerland there are, there are many like vitro accidents because because visually impaired people can't really know where is the the metro door or how to enter it or when they are or. They can't even know if they are already inside the metro, or there is still some ste- some steps to get to, to take to to arrive to the metro. So the app it can it can tell them everything. Just they just need to open the camera, and the, the phone will talk with them, and they and the AI will even protect like how how many how many steps it should take by calculating like the number of people that are there if you should like try to avoid people mm-hmm. and it, it will predict the number of people that will be in a place based on the previous numbers etc and i don't think my machine that's, that's day. <laughs> so yeah I've, I've never heard of something like this that would be really yeah. like useful yeah, it, it is. Uh, the SBB comp- uh, the SBB company. Uh, to, to, it's it's the uh, it's the national it's the national transport company of, of Switzerland. It took took the projects. It's uh, sorry, it took the project and it's gonna implement it in their newest app. So I th- I think we did great. <laughs> That's very nice. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, sorry, uh, for, uh, sorry for for the listeners if they want to read the uh, if, you, uh, if they want to, to read what uh, Gary Marcus said about deep learning and how mm-hmm. how there are there are better methods uh, I, I advise them to read a, a 60 lo- a 60 page long paper it's titled the next decade in AI four steps toward mm-hmm. fast artificial intelligence it's an amazing paper 
if if you're too lazy to read 60 pages there are many articles <laughs> the one i read <laughs> and, and seriously i'll put that work, on my screen as well <laughs> in this work marcus goes beyond critique putting forward like concrete proposals to move ai forward and it's amazing yeah do, do read it um and then moving on to the next question so sure. what do you do in the field of space tech yeah so space tech um i do two things um i mean i mean the uh, the association of of astrophysics and astroengineering of my university it's like our space mm-hmm. program and i help in creating in creating intelligence for for rockets and oh. it's mostly like for for the launching and then the landing etc we're trying to build mm-hmm. like mini models of like newer newer spacecrafts and it's it's really like a hobby mm-hmm. work but it's really amazing as the uh, the university is backing us and two years ago we won we won like the the national competition in uh, in rocket launching well, that's, yeah. that's that's the first thing i do thank you mm-hmm. that's the first thing i do and the second thing is i work with the with the uh, space generation advisory council mm-hmm. uh, they are basically like a branch of the un of the united nations and they work on like space uh, space exploration problems and it's it's like a volunteer work for the un and it's all mm-hmm. it's all for like for for space and there there are many branches there are branches that deal with data uh, there are branches that deal with like laws of space. There are branches that deal with the with the possibilities of explorations. Branches that deal with like events mm-hmm. and stuff like that for the for the UN and the ESA, European uh, European Space Agency, etc. Uh, I mean the branch that deals with with cybersecurity in space. It's called the Space and Cybersecurity Engineering, and I mm-hmm. I help in like promoting security awareness. For, for spacecrafts and right now we are preparing a hackathon uh, to, uh, it's with the NATO and we're going to uh, we're going to organize it I think this summer I don't only really have the details right now and I don't think uh, I'm allowed to talk about them anyway <laughs> uh, because it's not it's not public yet that we're preparing a hackathon but I can't I can't really tell the details but uh, anyway it's, it's gonna re- it's gonna be really amazing we've participated uh, yeah. before, before organizing the hackathon we've participated in in uh, CTF it's, CTF is uh, capture the flag it's like a uh, a competition for hackers to mm-hmm. hack your to hack your your tech basically to hack your softwares and oh, in the CTF, yeah. in the CTF, you have to like you have to hack uh, satellites and rockets, for example. Uh, our mm-hmm. team came. Uh, I, I wasn't in the team. I was I was mostly in the in the organization. Like mm-hmm. we organized how, how the team is gonna communicate, etc. Uh, because I had like some other stuff to do. It, it was during the, the rocket launch of, of my other work. <laughs> uh, 
uh, <laughs> and we came we, I, if I'm not mistaken mistaken I think we came like uh, the 30th group uh, and there were a thousand and two hundred groups mm-hmm. uh, so oh, that sounds so nice yeah so for I think that's it for space tech but like in details satellites provide information and services to support global communications as we know uh, the, the, it supports the economy, security and defense, safety and emergency management, the environment and health. Their strategic value effectively yes. raises the issue of cybersecurity. The information mm-hmm. they provide, it becomes a lucrative and enticing prospect for hackers. No more considering how satellites and their associated infrastructure are critical to sustaining an increasingly globalized and interconnected world. The space sector is unique in the field of cybersecurity. It is an industry where civil, commercial, and even military applications seamlessly coexist, unlike all our industries. So creating a situation for creating like a critical situation for cybersecurity experts and telecommunication engineers. So basically mm-hmm. our our branch of the uh, our, our branch of of the space generation uh, council it's a project group that follows the the outcomes of uh, of the space and cybersecurity working project at the European Space Generation Workshop. It happened in 2018 in uh, Bucharest uh, mm-hmm. under the UN. It, to emphasize the need to reflect on the nature of space and cyber securities. What are the priorities of governments and international institutions? What should they be? Whether that whether data should remain open source or limited in its, in its availability? Because possible technical solutions to the challenges posed like that I stated and the shape and origin of threats to cybersecurity in space are vast. So we totally need like a new workforce, a new battalion, if you want to say, for for such threats. Because we have AI, we have cybersecurity, and now yes. we need to we, now we need to develop some some kind of defense system for our for our space for our space technology. Because we never know when hackers will be finally finally able to like shut down satellites or or destroy rockets through through just a computer so these are these are possible things and i think the ctf that we that we that we participated in when where we hacked the satellite uh, proved that to us so i think this is very important issue Yes. So listening to you talk, uh, I just wanted to ask you one more question. Um, Do you know how you applied to Paris? You were not you were not from Paris originally, were you? Yeah, I'm from Tunisia. Yeah. Yeah. So what were like the the hard bits that you had to face when you were applying to Paris or what kind of application did you make and what made you decide that you wanted to go to Paris? All right, I need to think for a bit. <laughs> it's been oh, a long okay. time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, uh, it, it, in, in Tunisia, we have four years of high school. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I want to go study abroad in my second year. 
yes. at first I wasn't mm-hmm. sure like I I was mostly planning to go to the US mm-hmm. but then like it came to my mind I speak French and it's easier it's it's less costly and I didn't want yeah. like to to put much pressure on my family and I could easily like enter a great university and that's what happened afterwards uh so yeah i spent like three years of like hard work uh, like really really hard work uh mm-hmm. I, th- i think it was like very costly on, on my like uh, on my like m- mental health if you want to say that because i wasn't used to working your second year yep so yeah here is what happened so in my second year i decided to go abroad I started to look like into countries like mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I went like into the details even the GDPs of the countries I'm kind of I'm kind of like the perfectionist kind of type I need to know everything uh, at first I decided it was going to be the US mm-hmm. uh, but then like regarding the situations and all and it, it kind of put me off you know Yeah. So then I I started looking into other countries, mainly mainly France, because it's it's I think it's in diplo- diplomatically it's like the closest country to to mine outside mm-hmm. outside of yeah. Africa and outside of the Middle East political region. And mm-hmm. um, I speak French and. I know I my family knows people here etc so it, it logically it it was it was the the the, the most like uh, how can I how can I put this the the most lo- logical like choice for me yes because it really depends on the person I even I even thought about going to Turkey uh, I uh-huh. thought about going to China <laughs> I started looking into universities in the UK, but it's, mm-hmm. it's too expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But then, yeah, I, cho- I chose France, and uh, I had like to. But uh, but you know, I ch- I chose France like at the end in my in my last year of of high school, when it was time yes. to choose. Like I I said France, even though in my mind I I wasn't I wasn't sure yet, but. I had I had to choose. Uh, so yeah, three years hard work. I wasn't really a studious person before. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was mostly you like sound like yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, now yeah. <laughs> so like before that, it was like video games all the time. It was like pro- even programming for me it was only for fun i mean it's, i still have fun right now in a program i think that's the thing that keeps me on track but before yes. it was just like a hobby you know something you do like during a weekend when you don't go out and there's nothing to do yeah all right i'll go learn some video game development some app development you know it was <laughs> it was like the cliche thing to do back then for the geeks you know so <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, as I said, I wasn't really a studious person. But then it came to my mind: I need to do something about my life. Uh, I changed everything, like from even the time that I wake up, <laughs> like everything, like major changes in my life. And yeah, I went like from 
from ha- from having like C's to straight A's and A pluses in, in a matter of months. I don't know how that happens, but it happens. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really motivational. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started working out too because, like, at some point, you're gonna realize that what your parents are telling you about, like, uh, a healthy, uh, a healthy brain means a healthy, uh, sorry, a healthy body means a healthy brain is actually turns out to be true. <laughs> so. <laughs> But I I think I'm not sure, but I think if you saw my profile on Goodwill, it's written that uh, I'm a competitive boxer too. Um, I I did not notice that. I was just going through um yeah, your yeah. computer program, your old educational stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. So yeah, I'm also into martial arts. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right that sounds now. exciting because you're like one side of you, you're like an uh, you're into all this and then on the other side you're into yeah boxing, yeah right? uh, yeah you, you yeah. really have to know me well to, to know what i'm up to <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, I'm, just, I'm just a person that likes to have fun you know whenever I, wherever I, I find something i enjoy i go there it's just it's just just a matter of perspective i guess even my studies uh, I try I try to have the most fun possible. It it might seem weird, I know, but mm-hmm. I, I like challenges. I like I like doing stuff that over, like like that others find impossible or that others tell me it's impossible to do. Then whoop, here I go, I did it. Like going going yeah. to France, most people said I will never do it because I I didn't even know how to speak French. Like I only learned in a year or two when when I told you I I know how to speak French. That's like at the mm. end, but I only started when like I had the idea to go to France. That's the only word I can speak. <laughs> um, good, it's good accent. So all of that sounds great. Um, what what would you tell to like people who are trying to do your course, like who are trying to apply for um, these kind of uh, courses in uni? Would you would you encourage them to do so, or what? What's one piece of advice would you like to give them? Follow what you love and keep working hard. That, <laughs> that's that, that's that, that's really that's really the magical formula. I mean, follow mm-hmm. what you love. You don't necessarily need to get paid to do what you love. I I do lots of stuff that I don't get recognized for, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just doing them when I have time. I just have fun. And for yes. the work hard part, if you need, if you have an obligation to do, just do it now because later it's gonna become even harder to do. So honestly, just get rid of everything right now and have fun later. And after you have fun, go back to working hard with a new motivation, with a new mindset. And it's time just keep keep going through that loop till you finally till you finally feel like you made it for me like for me like right now i don't think if mm-hmm. i'll ever feel like i made it you know in the, in the sense of yeah i finally i finally can can go like to to an island and just chill you know it's it's not <laughs> <laughs> so for for me I'm, I'm just doing what i love i'm just doing it for the sake of it even though yes. even though later on there is money behind it but honestly I rarely think about it I only think about think about it when when I pay when I pay my taxes but, but yeah it's it's yes. really, it's really just the keep pushing hard keep doing what you love keep working 
Yeah. Working, keep working hard, but in a smart way, especially know what you do. Yeah. L- look, look into everything. Don't, don't just barge in. Don't just barge into things without knowing what what's awaiting you. That's foolishness. That's not. That's not risk taking. And mm-hmm. honestly, just be smart generally. That that will that will make you go like to to unknown frontiers at some point. Yes. Thank you so much, Ashraf. That's been Thank like you, such a. I think the first. I, I've, I've basically. I think the first part of it was really brain cracking for me because I was like, I kept on concentrating while we were talking. Oh um, shit! Sorry. <laughs> Um, I'm not. I, I'm generally like. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna apply for medicine, so yeah. I'm not really like a computer geek. But then I've got listeners who really love artificial intelligence and all that. And then, and then I decided to do an episode with someone who can actually do it. And thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's, it's my honor. Thank you. Mercy. <laughs> <That's what laughs> <Yeah. we're> <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and I'll thank you so much, Ashraf. Bye. Goodbye. Have a nice night. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye.